Welcome to Paranoid America. This is the Paranoid America podcast. I'm Russell Dowden, former publisher for the Paranoid Magazine. I've published uh, Weird Magazine, InfoWars Magazine, Paranoid Magazine, and uh, we've done a number of programs over the years, Weird Radio, for, for many years when we were publishing Weird Magazine, but this is our, our new show, Paranoid America podcast here and uh, we're going to be talking with a number of guests on paranormal conspiracy and just in time for all the craziness that's going on brought to you by corporate sponsored media. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit um, about a lot of different topics. But today on the first show here this week, uh, joining us on the program is Sean David Morton. And Sean has been in the paranormal space for years. He's Produced television shows. You can see he was a director producer with, uh, with freelance producer for shows like the Hard Copy, Unsolved Mystery, Sightings. Uh, you remember the Alien Autopsy? Uh, gosh, uh, we had uh, Alien interview. He, he's been doing this. He was doing the Strange Universe podcast for many years. If you're a fan of paranormal in the last 30 years, no doubt you've heard Sean David Morton on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, or you've seen a TV show that he helped produce or had his hand in. Uh, welcome to the podcast and to the show, uh, Sean. How, how how are you, my friend? Good man. I, I have a beautiful background behind me, but it's gone now. Wait, <laughs> now, before we before we start this because it's an alien show. <laughs> there we go. Look right here. Okay. okay. Now this is the greatest show that you have ever seen. You will watch this show all the time. And you will buy every book that is pitched to you on this show. Do you understand me? And there we go. Okay. Properly neuralized. There we go. I take these on dates, actually. This is great. It's I'm sorry. What, what's your name? How did I get here? What, what's going on? <laughs> great. If any ladies out there want to be probed, these are the glasses to wear. Hey, good stuff, man. Uh, welcome to the program. I appreciate you coming on. You're our first guest on this new program. We've done these before over the years. I took a hiatus from Paranormal. I actually host another show on an ESPN affiliate here in Austin. Uh, that covers cannabis and news of that sort. But I've been anxious, Sean, to get back into this topic because we've seen so many crazy things in the media. Uh, UAPs are a popular uh, uh, in the news. There's uh, constantly, there's been weather balloons. There's been a whole slew of, is it Chinese? Is it Russian? Is it aliens? Is it an asteroid? It's just been a lot of crazy stuff going on. And it's just kind of got me back in the hot seat here with this new program, which is Paranoid America. We are shopping this with uh, a radio network as well. Uh, so we'll see where we end up. But I'm going to do a chronological uh, kind of just start with ufology with our guest Sean David Morton, and we're gonna we're gonna end up with this UAP phenomenon in the modern era. But I want to start kind of with the Nazis and World War II. Sean, you you you're a you're a encyclopedia of wealth of information regarding all of this. So, you know, yeah. how do we get to um, the Nazis, and is there really this reptilian you know part of this? But 
you know, the uh, I'll kind of let you just take it over. Uh, we're in 19, say, 39, 1937. No, no. Start, start sooner than that. It starts in 1919. Okay, there we go. 1919. Uh, take it away, Sean. This is what I want to show you. Now, this was going to be the background on the green screen, but we don't, we're not using Zoom. But this is my. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is my latest book with the with the with the naked trucker girls on it, the Real Dom and Diaries, and this is uh, part six actually of a what's eventually going to be an eight, maybe a nine book series, all called Sands of Time. That's right. And uh, so let's let's start with these girls because this is where where this really starts. Actually, uh, it's kind of cool because on the back, uh, on the back, there's a girl that looks exactly like Taylor Swift, which I think is kind of funky. But this is one of the real dominant girls actually with a flying saucer in the background. And uh, to show you some of the pictures of these uh, uh, of these ladies who were part of the real dominant group. Uh, let me just explain that they were five psychic women who were channeling. Um, well, they were, they were channeling various entities. This is Sigrund, who was one of the main girls. And that's her mm -hmm. with the flying saucer in the background. And I'll give you some other pictures here as well. So. In 1919, they were all from Zagreb, and which is where it's still famous to this day for having you know psychics and gypsies and you know whatever. And um, Adolf Hitler and Rudolf Hess, who was really the brains behind everything, they were they were um, um, uh, how can I say obsessed with the occult and uh, you know really started Nazism as kind of a, a religion, if you will. Mm -hmm. And they were studying with a with a man by the name of Dietrich Eckert. Let me see if I can find a picture of him here. Dietrich Eckert was, he was the brains behind this whole thing. He was the one that talked about the smoky gods and he talked about the Thule society mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, beings in the center of the earth, giants in the center of the earth, along with reptilians in the earth. And um, so they came from Zagreb and were channeling Dietrich Eckert, who had just recently died. Here he is. This is the, here, this is the brain guy, the brain trust of the Nazis, Dietrich Eckert. And he was the spiritual teacher of Hess and Hitler. So he dies. And they're so desperate for his teaching, if you will. They contact these, they call them Vril Domin. The, 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 Vril being the, uh, uh, it's like the force. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with the invisible sun, which is the light hole across, black hole at the at the center of the universe. And it it its force kind of moves through. It's, it's the gravity that holds the entire galaxy and the whole universe together. So they're channeling Eckert. Now, the interesting thing about these ladies is that not only were they ravishingly beautiful and had hair down to their ankles, uh, but they would channel naked. So they would have this whole ceremony where they'd be up on a stage and they would take off all their clothes and, and doff their robes and, and begin the channeling. Now, Eckert is blabbing away about you know his various philosophies, if you will. And let me also point out that, that, that one of the other theories with how this progresses is that... Um, it was believed that Hitler and Hess were both arrested in the uh, uh, in the beer house riots, mm -hmm. and that they supposedly went to prison together. Now, I don't think that's true. The research that I've done um, throws a whole interesting kind of Jewish light on this entire thing, and the fact that Hitler was a puppet that was being manipulated from behind the scenes to create the war. Um, I mean, when people understand that the that the Versailles Treaty. Uh, which ended the First World War, which, which uh, again, the Germans didn't lose. It was just kind of a draw. And the First World War ended because of the Spanish flu. There's so many people just falling over dead 
that when they signed that treaty, and by the way, the treaty was signed by a couple of bankers. On the one hand, you had uh, you had Paul Warburg uh, for the uh, for the Allies, and on the other hand, you had his brother Max Warburg, who signed it for the Germans, and it screwed the Germans. I mean, the reason all this and the entire Versailles Treaty was designed, <coughs> excuse me, to make the German people angry. To the average German man was working about 20 hours a day, uh, of which he got to keep maybe two hours of his own labor because the rest went to taxes and reparations and whatever else. And um, it was designed to create a leader exactly like Hitler. Mm -hmm. So Hitler and Hess are arrested in the riots. And I don't think they spent a single day in prison. I think that they that they were actually put up in Baron Rothschild's private apartments where he provided them with a typewriter. <laughs> and um, uh, which was a very advanced piece of equipment at that time. And while Hitler kind of rattled off repeating all the stuff that Dietrich Eckert was talking about, it was Hess that was sitting there as his secretary, basically writing Mein Kampf. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, so this all begins in 1919. Now, the weird thing about this is, and this is what my progressive books are about, is that um, suddenly Dietrich Eckert moves aside. You know, the spirit, and uh, I think Sigrun is actually channeling him. Or uh, Maria Orsic, who is this mm -hmm. yeah. beautiful blonde, who was uh, that she's the famous one because she was Hitler's main squeeze. That's right. Or or Wolfie, as they call it. <laughs> I, I think that's cute, don't you? Uh huh. And, uh, um, so suddenly, another voice comes through that says uh, that says we are the Sumer, and that they had founded the first Reich of Babylon including, I might add, the Babylonian banking system and structure, which we still have today, and uh, under which we are still kind of debt-slaved and oppressed. I'm trying to find Maria's pictures here because it's really spectacular. Orsic, though. Orsic, yeah, Maria Orsic. Yeah, yeah familiar. Yeah, and you, that's that's the name you hear because she's, uh, she's, she's gorgeous. That's Maria yeah, Orsic. There we go. And Maria Orsic is, uh, because she was Hitler's girlfriend, That's that's the real symbol there. Uh -huh. uh, which once again is the is the lightning bolt that represents the force that represents the ultimate power in the universe, and uh, the symbol that you see on the cover is uh, I'm not sure you can see that because you're you're coming in and out, but the symbol on the cover that has the that has the real symbol in the center. Okay, is is the uh, is once again I put this on the book six months ago and suddenly this appears as a crop circle, so you can actually look this up and actually see that this yeah. It's representing the, the the force that runs through all the galaxy, really representing gravity. Uh, just popped up as a as a as a crop circle, which I think is interesting. You know, Sean, that that book you've got, that's your latest book. That is that is not a skinny. How many pages is that, man? That's pretty thick. Uh, that's a lot. That's a yeah. wealth of information there. Well, not as, it, as it, the other thing is too is that you'll notice that that for my older readers who are complaining about the little teeny tiny type, it's actually got, <laughs> see it. It's it's I pumped it up to twelve points double space, <laughs> so it's really easy to read. So you know, for anybody that's that's concerned about a book that's this big, it's it's easy to read. So okay, so this Nazi connection. So the Nazi connection is is that suddenly these beings from Sumer, who are also known as the as the Illigem. Uh, come in and they say, look, we've been here for 500 million years. Uh, we've genetically engineered humanity. Uh, you are the seventh species of the, of the humanity that we've engineered. They, they would come along every 23,000 years, pick up the best of the best of their genetic slaves, if you will, 
uh, wipe out everybody else on the planet and then continue forward. Well, so they are all from Aldebaran. Now, Aldebaran is the, the big red giant in the eye of Taurus in the constellation of the, Ple uh, of the Hyades. And the constellation of the Pleiades rides on the back of Taurus. And then Taurus is kind of being hit in the head by Orion because Orion has a, has a shield and a big stick. So they start giving Sigrun specifically. Um, they want them to achieve what's called the Ramflugen, which means space flight, which means basically rocketing to the stars. And suddenly Sigrun starts channeling uh, Sumerian cuneiform. And she starts speaking Sumerian, which sounds oddly enough like Gaelic, interestingly enough. And uh, 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 she starts coming up with these massive uh, uh, diagrams and blueprints for building flying saucers. Mm -hmm. So Rudolf Hess goes and gets his buddy, uh, Von Zibotendorf. And uh, Baron Von Zibotendorf comes in and he says, huh, well, let's get some scientists in here and see what we can do with this. And he brings in a team of scientists who are just completely blown away by the fact that Sigrun is actually giving them plans for flying saucers. Um, now, it gets even more interesting because it diverges in such a way. They, they start building them, and it was, a, uh, it, was, uh, uh, it was called Section X or Section 10. And it was a whole hangar that belonged to uh, BMW Messerschmitt at the time. And uh, it's kind of weird because you see the symbol on BMWs and Mercedes, by the way. And Mercedes tries to tell you, you know, it stands for land, sea, air. It's not. It's a propeller on a plane. <laughs> and they made airplanes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and after the war, they were not allowed to make airplanes anymore. So they started making cars. Now, here's the next interesting thing that happens. Sigrun is Sigrun and Maria. And the five Vildama girls are basically tricking the Nazis. They have no intention of giving them actual technology that works. But Sigrun believes that she's from Aldebaran and that she, because she can remember her past lives, that she's immortal when she's been here for thousands of years and that she was part of original Babylon or whatever else. And so they needed the money from the Nazis to build the ships that they needed to basically instantaneously transport and teleport back to Aldebaran. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, giving the Nazis a bunch of stuff that didn't really work. And so what they discovered was, and there's a lot of things that happened, is that they had every intention of waiting uh, and had the Nazis waited maybe six more months. Uh, and Hitler's plan was to wait another three years or so. So once they beat the Russians, they felt that you know nobody could stand up to them. And uh, the Japanese went crazy and attacked Pearl Harbor and, uh, you know, dragged America into the war because that's all FDR wanted. He was a huge Anglophile. And there's right. a guy in the White House called Intrepid uh, who kept basically poking FDR with a stick. FDR actually gave orders for Admiral Nimitz to, sh to, to fire on any German shipping that he came across in the Atlantic. And the U-boat commanders and everybody else had, had orders from Hitler that if you attacked U.S. shipping, and engaged anybody in the United States that you'd be shot. And because uh, that's how bad he did not want to have the United States enter into this. Uh, a matter of fact, yeah. later on, is he, is he uh, Hitler sent his best friend, Rudolf Hess, parachuted into Scotland. That's right. And, and presented a treaty of peace. And this was after Hitler had allowed everybody to escape from Dunkirk. If you saw the Christopher Nolan movie, you're thinking, oh, you know, the Germans tried to kill everybody. Mm -hmm. No, they let him they let him go. They were right under the uh, under literally the barrels 
of Panzer tanks that were up on the cliffs and just let everybody go. And after that, he said, look, let's let the United States and let's let Britain team up with me to kill the Russians. They're the evil ones. They're the guys that we need to go after. And, um, you know, and we can rule the world together. So, Sean, we've uh, we're so we're in World War Two now. We've got and some of the topics I have here. uh, You've got Foo Fighters that are being seen all around uh, aerial combat over Europe. Uh, during this time, um, out on the West Coast in the U.S., there's the battle for Los Angeles around right. around this same time too. So there, there's some anomalous things going on above the Earth uh, during the the Second World War. Okay, of course. Uh, let me let me let me finish off with what I was saying here, and then we'll go to battle of Los Angeles. Uh, so Sigrun and Baron Fritz, as he called himself, or Baron Spottenheim. Uh, and his friends are, are financing and building saucers that work. And they all disappear. On March 11th of 1945, she sends out a telegram, a memo to all her people, probably about 1,100 of them or so, because they managed to come up with seven ships, and I think they made 11 trips. And um, she, her message said, uh, no one is staying here. We are all going home. And they disappear. Now, in 1937... You actually have uh, 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 Uben Grubenfuhrer Hans Kammler. And Kammler was the second most powerful man in Germany. He controlled everything outside of Berlin. He had 14 million people at one point uh, actually enslaved under him, including he's the guy who designed Auschwitz and Dachau and you know all the bad concentration camps. And Kammler rose meteorically as the Uber Grubenfuhrer because he found a crashed UFO in the Black Forest in 1937. And they managed to pull the star drive engine out of this UFO, I think, before the rest of it disintegrated, which became known as, you ready for this? You've heard about this, <laughs> the Nazi Bell. You know yes, Bell yes. All right, so the Nazi Bell also disappears, uh, you know, 1945, as they're trying to use it to kind of win the war, and rips open not only a mountain, but a gigantic gap in the time-space continuum, yeah, and it somehow crashes in a place called Kecksburg, Pennsylvania in December yeah. of 1964. Right. So suddenly we've got the Nazi bell. Well, this star drive, um, and there's video of this now, actually. I'll, I'll send you a, a video of it, where they started building these huge stone hinges, and they're, they're circles, and they would chain the bell up in the center, uh, they would get some poor schlub to go in and turn it on, and 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 it would create these these purple whips of energy. And um, f- for lack of a better term, the the term for I, I guess what you would call a, a time energy are called solitons. And so, but everything that these solitons would hit, they would instantaneously age. They turn human beings to dust. But what they would do is that they would then fly their Hanabu or Vril ships, which were big they were about uh, 100 meters across they would fly them or they would land them on top of the hinges and then they would they would float upwards and then they'd turn the 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 nazi bell on and the bell would create a vortex and these things would disappear and supposedly make the trip to aldebaran um the fourth time they did this uh the solitons actually infected the ship itself because they only had air for maybe four hours or so and uh, everybody came, it came back a ghost ship, a flying Dutchman. Everybody had aged. It was all skeletons and, and the, the metal was brittle uh, and, you know, whatever else. So this is what was going on is that the Vrildamen were really tricking the Germans into financing them to build their thing, 
my, while meanwhile handing the Germans uh, basically flying Cessna technology that didn't, that didn't work. Now, yeah, let's go to the ba- Battle of Los Angeles is one thing. Now, we only attacked – the Germans knew that they'd lost the war in, by 1943. Um, matter of fact, it's kind of, a, kind of a weird hoax about this. I wrote a paper in college, which I got a lot of crap for. But um, we got the word, the Holocaust – from an NBC miniseries that came on in 1978. It was a two-part miniseries called The Holocaust. And that's where they got it from. They didn't used to call it that until the miniseries. And so in the in the in the last days of the war, 1944-45, they show them loading Jews onto trains and that they were taking them out to the camps to go execute them and all that stuff. And I just so happened to be taking a I was I majored in political science at USC. And um, I wrote a paper on this called called basically the uh, the Propaganda. Mm-hmm. Propaganda. Yeah, we're going. No, I'm sorry. We're just coming up on our first break, Sean. Uh, stay right there. Our guest, Sean David Morton, will be right back on the other side. It's Paranoid America podcast. We're going to continue this and we're going to end up in Roswell and we'll talk about Project Paperclip and some others after this. This is Paranoid America. We'll be right back after this. Tired of the lies, conspiracies, and propaganda the deep state uses to program you? Does the thought of empirical corporate globalism make you paranoid? Then Paranoid America is your source for alternative news. Listen to Paranoid America weekly on the GCN Radio Network or wherever podcasts are available. Your filter for mainstream fake news and disinformation. Featuring world news, the paranormal, cover-ups, UFOs, cosmic disclosure, secret space programs, and the parapolitical soup of today's global theater. Tune in weekly as we dig deep into the dark vault of false flag agendas and unlock the esoteric and the unknown. If you aren't paranoid, you aren't listening. The Paranoid America Radio Show. Now, live from an underground bunker fortified with cheese whiz and crackers, the man dressed in black fatigues, wearing a tin hat made of aluminum foil, your host, Mr. Paranoid, Jerry Lee Fletcher. Welcome back to Paranoid America. I'm Russell, former publisher of Paranoid Magazine, Weird Magazine. Uh, been publishing magazines for many years. This is the new podcast, Paranoid America. We'll jump right back in our conversation here. We've got our guest uh, from Strange Universe, Sean David Morton, giving us a history lesson of ufology as we let him jump right back into this conversation here and, and tell us how this all started with the Nazis and how we got into this crazy mess. Welcome back, Sean David Morton find the Nazi bell they they realize they can they can zap things with it 
and uh, and then suddenly Maria Orsich and everybody, including including Hans Kammler, by the way, in 1945, they all disappear. They all vanish. Uh, okay, let's go into uh, the Battle of Los Angeles. Now, yep. there, this is really interesting because there's a Star Trek connection here with the Battle of Los Angeles. So on February uh, 26th of, uh, of 1942, uh, you have a ship that appears over Long Beach. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's actually where it kind of was, where the, photo, where the famous photograph is taken of it. It appears on the front page of the L.A. Times. And it's caught in, uh, I think, eight spotlights. And in the spotlights, you can actually see that there's there's ordnance that's being bounced off it. Well, one of the people that I interviewed that I knew from the Star Trek days and from uh, and from knowing Gene Roddenberry and from uh, uh, my dad being vice president of TRW is I got all the Star Trek guys together to come out for the big landing of the uh, of the space shuttle when it was in uh, when it was at Ed- Edwards Air Force Base. <laughs> and um, one of the guys who who was manning uh, one of the 50 millimeter guns that was taking pot shots of these things, they fired something like 20,000 rounds of ordnance and mm-hmm. it just bounced off. Was Bones, was DeForest Kelly. <laughs> was he was shooting a, at him? Yeah, he was a gunnery sergeant actually in Long Beach. Far out. And they, and they took him up and uh, he was up in uh, Marina Del Rey. And a matter of fact, where it was flying was right over the, uh, it was right over the Hughes Aircraft Factory, which was kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it flew, it flew across the Bologna wetlands, uh, out over Marina Del Rey. Then it went along the beach, went right over my hometown in Hermosa Beach and was was spotted there and then was being chased by airplanes or whatever else. And it went out to Catalina and then just sort of zipped off the other side. But that's really all we knew about it. Now, the thing was, is that they were trying to claim that this was some kind of Japanese invasion. And the, the ordinance bouncing off it and the blackout in Los Angeles killed 14 people. And they never would admit that it was the Japanese. As far as we know, the Japanese only attacked a uh, an oil rig uh, off the coast of, of of Santa Barbara. I mean, they could have advanced forward and taken all of California, uh, which is one of the reasons why the whole you know the, the whole tragedy of of uh, Earl Warren and uh, uh, FDR locking up all these good Japanese Americans up, up at Manzanar. Yeah, but uh, you know, so there you go. So that's that's all we know about it. But it was on the front page of the LA Times. And D. Forrest Kelly talked about how, you know, uh, you know, I'm a doctor, damn it, not a gunnery sergeant. And uh, <laughs> you know, he, he blasted the hell out of this thing. He said it just, it just bounced off a field uh, that was going off. And as I said, this was 1942. Well, and as a, and as, as a cover-up for that event, I might add, uh, Steven Spielberg then did the movie, uh, 1942. And, uh, um, and I think that was just a cover-up for the, for the saucer incident and, and panic and all that. No, no, I just I, I wanted to comment on on uh, that because I did have a, I do have a Spielberg one for you that, that I wanted to ask, and that was going to be around about close encounters. But um, you know, Admiral Byrd and the whole Antarctica thing that kind of ensues after uh, the battle for Los Angeles. Then you've got Roswell, Project Paperclip. Uh, pretty kind of crazy time, you know, the 40s in general with, with regards to, you know, the, the beginnings of ufology as we know it. Well, the next the next progression would be probably Project Paperclip. So, yeah, um, what happens is that you've got uh, you've got uh, uh, Wilhelm Otto Schulman. Uh, you have, uh, you know, all the quote good Nazis that didn't have anything to do with these supposed concentration camps or whatever. And basically Eisenhower and his gang didn't look at the Nazis and say, oh, that's horrible. 
uh, they said, oh, show us how to do that here. <laughs> so they transported, as you know, and you're seeing now, uh, the entire uh, military, industrial, scientific, and you got to throw in pharmaceutical complex as well because they took IG Farben. Yeah. IG Farben, which which basically was you know bought up Bayer, and they were the ones that were running the medical experiments at Dachau and Auschwitz. Um, were uh, uh, they brought it all here? Well, sure. not, not only did I know them, I mean they would come over to our house for dinner and say stuff like, "Ah, oh, was, was a hell of a dancer, and he loved dogs." And you know they would have the leather coats with the SS. Uh, Thunderbolts, like still on the collar, but we had to, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but, but we had to put 750,000 new words, new words into our lexicons for stuff that we hadn't invented, didn't even hear about. I mean, I can't even tell you every airplane design, every single one, uh, was the Germans, but they invented jet tax and inter intercontinental ballistic missiles, the jet engine, obviously. Uh, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And you had a guy by the name of Victor uh, Victor Schauberger yeah. who invented an implosion drive engine. Now, he was brought to the United States, and he tried to work with some crazy Texas people uh, to basically work on a, an incredibly powerful uh, implosion drive engine and did build a disc in the United States that could travel at something like 40,000 miles an hour. And then, Sean, we end up with the 1952 flap over Washington, D.C., uh, is this uh, extraterrestrial? Is this something else? Is this a man-made based? Uh... Nobody sees the connection here, okay? Because mm -hmm. the connection is with Admiral Byrd. Admiral Byrd goes yeah. back down to Antarctica. Now, when he first went there, there was a Chilean reporter that asked him, you got 1,500 troops with you. You've got, uh, they had the original models for aircraft carriers that, you know, you, you went down with, you know, guns and bombs and planes. And he said, what's all this military ordinance for a scientific expedition? And his exact words were, quote, in case we meet the enemy across the ice. And they were like, well, the Germans have been vanquished. What do you mean the enemy? And, of course, the Germans had claimed Antarctica uh, in 1934-35. They dropped German flags all over it. It was called mm -hmm. New Schwabenland, even That's by right. National Geographic at that time. And there's a lot of people that believe that they had fled to Antarctica. Now, this is, this is the connection between uh, the buzzing of Washington, D.C., the day before this happened, and it's kind of a day the Earth stood still kind of moment, they asked Bird what should be done with Antarctica. You know what his response was? We should test hydrogen bombs there. Hydrogen <laughs> bombs. And they said, okay. And all these people are saying, well, you'll melt the polar ice cap, and uh, you could tip over the world, and uh, probably not such a good idea. The next day was when the saucers filled the sky over Washington, D.C., flying, and I don't know if anybody noticed this, but for three days, they were zipping around D.C. and Virginia and Maryland, flying in what they were calling typical Luftwaffe formation. Yeah. So had they built these things? Had they all moved to Antarctica? Is that the central place? And it's interesting that nobody has a base in the middle of Antarctica. We have military bases, all the allied military bases, ring the outside of Antarctica. What exactly are they trying to keep? Yeah. yeah, it's like a no-fly zone over the central part of the continent there. Um, you get into Colonel Corso's work, Foreign Technology Division. I've got Brookings Institute in here. There's just things, you know, we get into Kennedy and, and the secret space programs. Talk about Corso's connection, all that. First off, uh, Corso was the one that actually uh, uh, gave the Boston Globe the information about the uh, – uh, the nuclear missiles in Cuba because Kennedy was trying to cover the whole thing up. He was going to let the Russians have them. Kennedy sucked as a president. He let the communists get away with everything. He let them build the <laughs> Berlin wall. He let them move nuclear missiles into Cuba. 
and it was it was Colonel Corso, who was the military governor of Italy after the war, uh, who wrote one of the most important books ever, uh, which is the day after, yeah, after Roswell. Roswell. But mm-hmm. years later, Corso has kind of an Italian girlfriend, and he's at a conference, and he talks about one last thing that went on with Roswell. Now, this is what's interesting. So my uncle Fred Bell, Dr. Fred Bell, uh, uh, who he and I, when I was in college, actually did a whole Marty McFly thing, and we uh, we built a time machine in his backyard. We have to talk about that later. It was four stories <laughs> high, and it worked twice. I saw this thing actually vanish before my eyes twice, and we had to take Fred to the hospital each time. But um, Roswell was a trap. Roswell was, what was happening is, is that there were so many UFOs flying around New Mexico. Yeah. And they were like mosquitoes. They were like flies everywhere. So what we did is we set up a trap. And the trap was we had uh, what were called RX-47 microwave towers. Yes. And we discovered that the microwave towers uh, could, in fact, interfere with, right. the, uh, with the element 115 to 116 antimatter reactors inside these particular ships. Thank God we, it didn't really. Uh, I think the one that blew up was the... Uh, uh, was the one that was based on a fusion drive. I Sean, Sean, I, I just want to add, add to this. Uh, I, I had a like a secret space program, older gentleman, 30 years ago. He worked for TRW, and you'll find this interesting. But he told me in a conversation, uh, probably in 97, he said, uh, he told me that, he said, yeah, that that was a trap there in either the, the, the radar coverage from West Texas all the way to, you know, Nevada, Southern Nevada desert, was the highest point of the um, radar tracking system. And he said that uh, that he called it what he said was the old Philco radar overlapping coverage at this time. And that it was somehow penetrating the craft's uh, uh, shields or they, their, their shields weren't hardened, as he said. But but this is what um, a, TR, a retired TRW um, executive that, that did work with NASA in later years um, told me that that was happening around that time. So I just wanted to jump uh, and jump in on that because that's what uh, an insider told me once, probably 30 years ago. The microwave radiation was frying, was frying every animal mm-hmm. in the desert at that time. There was like no life in the New Mexican desert. But because we've been testing atomic weapons there, which, by the way, we got from the Germans. Because when we captured all these German scientists, they came and said, this is how you build an atomic bomb. We built a whole basket full of them for the Fuhrer. <laughs> he did not want to use them. He thought they were too cruel. So Oppenheimer, you're going to see the new propaganda thing with this new uh, uh, the new Christopher Nolan movie about Oppenheimer and what a genius he was. And he wasn't. Right. It actually took the German scientists coming in, showing us how to build an atomic bomb because we had no hope of building an atomic bomb. Interestingly enough, the way we were going to go was we there was a there was something called Project Seven Two One, which was biological warfare to drop a disease, a biological flu on Japan, which would only kill Japanese to be able to wipe out their population in preparation for a an invasion, which MacArthur was saying was going to cost us a million guys. But instead, we came up with the atomic bomb, because you can then link Project Seven Two One and that agenda directly to. Uh, the United States developing the COVID vaccine. So that's, you know, that's years later. But, um, all right, so here's the thing. There were three ships in Roswell. And of the three ships, the first ship exploded, as you know, uh, crashed into the second ship. So that's where the wreckage field was over Mac mm-hmm. Razzle's ranch. Right. The ship flutters down and crashes outside of Corona. The third ship, and this comes from Colonel Corso again, disappears. They pull a switch or something, and 
Corso later said in a book that nobody's read uh, that not only did he know the third ship disappeared, but the third ship traveled through time and that he was waiting for it when it crashed. And 10 years later, this thing crashed. Yeah. And Corso managed to put one of these bands on on his head that allowed him to telepathically communicate with the being. And um, he let him fix his ship and, and get away. Now, here's one other interesting part of this. I went to school uh, with General Nathan Twining's uh, grandson. We were great friends in college. And we used to do a, a comedy act together. So we were invited over to you know General Twining's house. Yeah. And he would tell us all these stories. Now, there was a surviving being that wasn't a living being. It was kind of a robot. And uh, it would only talk to um, uh, General Twining's secretary. Um, a lady named uh, Matilda McElroy. And there's a great book on this, which is also called The Alien Interview, where every time the generals and everybody would leave the room, this being, who was female, uh, named Ariel, oddly enough, would start chatting away with, uh, uh, with Matilda. And Matilda wrote down everything that was in that. And it is one of the most fascinating books, uh, besides mine, on, on UFOs, because it gives the whole structure of the universe as very much a business, really, that they go to conventions and you pick out bees and flowers and stuff you want on your planet. And it's like a big game of the Sims sort of, but uh, so anyway, so Corso supposedly met this, uh, this, this last UFO. So there's, so there's Roswell for you. Now, what do we get out of Roswell? Uh, when we took it apart, um, we obviously got integrated circuits, Yeah. Uh, which, they, which they handed to Shockley and Shockley then developed and Shockley never said he invented the integrated circuit. They, he said it was his team. Uh, we got Sean, you. stay right there. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to give us more time. We've got plenty of time. I just oh. want to, I just want to um, take another break, and then we'll come back and we're going to get through this Roswell stuff. Up here, and we'll get to the stuff where, that I was involved with. So. Yes, that's right. And so, uh, stay right there, guys. We're going to have another. This will be a long segment after the break, and we're going to learn more about Roswell. We're going to get into uh, maybe even uh, the moon. <laughs> Uh, Kubrick. I'm, I've got some questions on uh, Dulce, maybe even uh, Close Encounters. So we're going to uh, come right back on the other side, Paranoid America, after this, guys. Are you tired of the lies, conspiracies, and propaganda the deep state uses to program you? Does the thought of empirical corporate globalism make you paranoid? Then Paranoid America is your source for alternative news. Listen to Paranoid America weekly on the GCN Radio Network or wherever podcasts are available. Your filter for mainstream fake news and disinformation. Featuring world news, the paranormal, cover-ups, UFOs, cosmic disclosure, secret space programs, and the parapolitical soup of today's global theater. Headline edition, July 8th, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile found sometime last week 
has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Demonstration. status report. Completely operational, and all my circuits are functioning perfectly. Excellent! Engineering to Captain Kirk. Kirk, yeah, what is this, Kirk? Ready to try it when you are, sir. Inform engine room to prepare for maximum acceleration. Energize. Hey, it works! Program complete. Enter when ready. All right, welcome back to the Paranoid America show. It's Russell Dowden here with um, our guest, uh, Sean David Morton, giving us a history lesson on American ufology. And so far, we have uh, made it to the desert uh, here in uh, in uh, the southwestern desert and, and picking up where the Roswell crash left off. Our guest, uh, uh, Sean David Morton. Welcome back to the show, Sean. Hi. How are you doing? So uh, right, where do you want to go from here? So we did Roswell. Again, there were three ships. One traveled through time. Corso spoke to him. Whatever we we have this massive technological advance uh, from stuff we took off. Uh, we we have uh, night vision, which went to Bell Labs. We had uh, integrated circuits, which went to the Shockley Group. Uh, we had the amazing technological advance of lasers, uh, which are only developed to be used as cat toys. So you know. <laughs> so there you go. Um, all right. So let's sweep through the fifties. So in the 50s, you have waves of UFOs. You have people right. getting more interested in it. You have, uh, uh, but it's also where um, you have a reaction by the government against people. Uh, you had what was called the Corden Report that said that UFOs aren't dangerous, that people that see them are. And, uh, and the people that report UFOs should be horse-whipped. And, uh, the Condone Report, right? Yeah, the Condone Report. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's interesting how it's gone from... Uh, uh, people are idiots. People should be horse whipped. UFOs don't exist. To now them saying we can't either confirm or deny. To them now saying, oh, we're going to call them UAPs, so we're just going to change the name so that nobody's uh, freaking out about it. And um, there's a lot of people in the conspiracy world. Uh, specifically, one of the most interesting interviews that I saw on the net uh, was kind of a posthumous interview by a guy who claimed to be a man in black. Oh, wow. And it, was, it was done in um, 2008, 2008. As of nine or something, but he did predict that the next wave of things that were going to happen was that by two, uh, 2017, uh, that they would release a global virus of some kind to begin shutting huh. the planet down. And that his and he says, and if that happens, then we're talking that in 2024, 2025, and there's a lot of people saying this because von Braun said this as well, uh, and they did interviews with his secretary also, um, saying that they're going to fake an alien invasion. And that if they fake this alien invasion, that they could use that as an excuse to frighten the entire world and form a global government. And uh, Kissinger talked about that. Reagan, of course, gave four speeches where he talked about right. uh, if we were invaded by extraterrestrials and, and whatever else. Okay, so. Yet I ask, is there not already an alien presence among us? Yeah. Well, Quoting I actually Reagan. asked a super high government guy that, and I said, are, 
are ETs working with the government? And he was like, young man, the question you should be asking is whether or not ETs are the government. Really. <laughs> well, what about the Brookings Institute? You know, you had that one the, that one report, uh, proposed study of peaceful space activities for human affairs. This was clearly the think tank doing research on what the uh, impact would be if – um, you know, uh, if we if we knew we had ETs out there, and you know about this report, this is very uh, very famous report. Well, this you know, Rand Corporation's done one, Brookings Institute's has done one, the United Nations has done one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm just trying to keep it to my personal experience, but we, you know, I, well, again, my dad was vice president of TRW. He was a fighter pilot. My mom was kind of a supermodel. She ran for vice president of the United States in 1984 uh, on the uh, on the uh, the populist party ticket, but. You know, I grew up with with Gus Grissom and Neil Armstrong. Yeah. I was all you know, being over at the house, swimming in the pool. And uh, uh, Jim McDivitt used to come over. And what they would do is that they would take these uh, these eight millimeter uh, wind up Bellinhow cameras and they tuck them in the inside of their uh, of their uh, uh, spacesuits. And they fought with the German scientists to get a window so they could look out the window. And they were filming stuff out the window. And they would bring it over and we put it in the projector and put a big sheet up on the wall. And we would show UFO film that, uh, you know, was never seen the light of day. Matter of fact, the Jim McDivitt one did because it looked like, uh, they called it the German hand grenade because it was like that with a stick out of it. And, uh, but every flight they took, uh, was being shadowed by something. Now, Gus Grissom, interestingly enough, who everybody knew was going to be the first man on the moon ever. He was the astronauts astronaut. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Gus kept saying, uh, that it's it's the other space program that it's that you know that they were just spamming a can, and <laughs> these rockets were all stupid, yeah. and that uh, it was the field technology, it was the UFO technology, the real stuff uh, that was going at, was going on at, in those days. They called it the Docktown Strip. I don't know why, but it was uh, that was the Groom Lake facility, uh, which he lived in in Albuquerque, and Benowitz was claiming that he was in contact with an ET that was actually working at Dulce. <laughs> and um, uh, more destroyed his life, completely destroyed his life. And then yeah. said, I work for the CIA. I'm a disinformation agent. And I just made up everything about Dulce. And uh, and it's totally fake. I just released it in the UFO community to show people how stupid uh, <laughs> researchers can be. So that pissed us off. So what we did is that at that time, I was co-producing and co-directing a documentary called UFO Contactees where we had gathered about 600 hours of footage with abductees, conductees, scientists, researchers. Somebody had a dog barked at the UFO. We went out and talked to him. But we went, we went to Billy Myers Farm in Switzerland. We went up and down Italy. We went yeah. to Spain. Uh, we're actually in the fields when the crop circles are being made in May of 1990. And in 1989, uh, Joe Randazzo was the executive producer, the guy paying for everything. Uh, we went out, and uh, Dr. Jim Delatoso figured out a way to ultrasound this mountain by actually putting very, very high sonic frequencies through the mountain and then processing onto DAT tape and taking that DAT tape down to a Cray supercomputer, which he helped develop at University of San Diego. So we put this image together. I think I'm the only person that actually has the footage of that. Um, matter of fact, you were talking about Tucker Carlson a minute ago. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, I had a conversation with, the, with his producer, you know, all things Tucker Carlson. And I told him about this footage, and he says, great, we'll have you on in the next two weeks. And the following Monday, Tucker comes in, and they say, anybody who works for Fox, raise your hand. Ah, not so fast there, Tucker. And Tucker gets fired, leaving me once again kind of out. <laughs> so anyway, we went out to Dulce, all kinds of weird. This was December of 89. 
Uh, all kinds of weird stuff happened when we were there. And then we interviewed in 90, January of 90, uh, we interviewed a guy named Bob Lazar, who yeah. later became you know, famous for various reasons. Now, it's interesting because reading Bob's book and his subsequent interviews, um, he changes his story substantially. So I don't know what to do with that because, you know, Bob, I mean, he did have an alien encounter, which was interesting. He did. He, he claims that he came out because he got beaten up uh, by Dennis Mariana. I mean, there's there's a bunch of stuff about Lazar's story that just doesn't hang mm-hmm. that he changes at some at some point later. So in 1991, uh, after I do the UFO documentary and everything else, I finally take a friend of mine, uh, Shannon Sands, who's a writer for the L.A. Times. And I go out with another buddy of mine, Jeff Slack, and uh, we go out to Area 51 where you already had people out there like Noria Hayakawa and yeah. Schultz and Anthony Hilder and all that. And they'd been coming out for a while. Oddly enough, it was the it was it was February 26th of 1991, which was the anniversary of uh, of uh, of the uh, the L.A. Flying Saucer, the Battle of Los Angeles. And uh, long story short, our car got swooped by a flying saucer, literally swooped by it. It came in on its edge in the road, flattened out, went zipping off into the desert. It was flying maybe 50 feet off the ground. Uh, myself and Jeff jumped out of the car. We chased after this thing. Then this thing started chasing after us. Uh, we ran into each other. We're sitting there on the ground, peeing our pants, just scared to death. <laughs> and the thing <clears throat> was ringing like a bell. It would go... Brrr, and um, um, I got deathly ill for about two weeks after that. The doctor said, what'd you do? Put your head in a microwave because you got low-level radiation poisoning, yeah. which quite possibly led to this throat cancer that I've just, you know, that I've had to deal with for the last two years. Um, and I was hooked after that. So every two weeks or so, um, I started going out there. And then people wanted to go. So we put a bus load together, of people, a van together. And I took out, you know, Conan O'Brien when he was head writer of The Simpsons. I took out uh, Betty Thomas, uh, who was on Hill Street Blues and a big director, directed private parts, took out uh, Dean Devlin. We climbed up and I found this mountaintop and actually looked down on the base. So I'm the only one that knew what the base looked like. So then some freaky stuff happened with a guy who called himself Ghost Walker. Did you ever hear about the Ghost Walker interviews? Uh, know about the ranch. Ranch. Well, maybe it's maybe it's not Ghost Walker Ranch, or isn't that oh, in you're Utah? Talking, you're talking about Skinwalker. Oh, Skinwalker Ranch. About? Sorry, that's <laughs> different deal. <laughs> Let me put it this way: the guys at Skinwalker Ranch do not know what they're messing with. I've been out there, and what they're standing on top of is a cra- about a fifteen hundred foot across crashed disc. That's why you've got this big wash that then goes up to the mountain because that's from where the disc crashed. And there's defense mechanisms on that ship that kick into gear. And when the engines go on or whenever it is, it, it's actually creating, it, from what I can see from my perspective, uh, they look like this. They look like kites, actually, with, with, with energy or radiation coming out of the center. And these are interdimensional time-space portals that stuff pops through, uh, chases the cattle around, kills things while it's here, because anything interdimensional uh, is vampiristic. You know, chupacabras, um, uh, skunk apes, uh, whatever else. But uh, that's what they're goofing with. So every time they shoot something up in the air, you actually have ships that come in, which are part of the defense mechanism of the ship that they're standing on. I don't know where they got this Travis guy, but they got you know some different people out there. But they're not using, you know, they're not using psychics or sensitives who who would tell them, uh, you know, what they're messing around with at Ghost Walker Ranch. So it's uh, just saying that that's what it is. Having been out there myself, and having talked to a bunch of uh, you know Ute elders. Um, so there you go. So I'm losing my losing my track here. So um, 
interestingly enough, then in 90, 92, I think it was, uh, Linda Moulton Howe, and she and I have been friends for a while. She she puts the show sightings together, and That's I right. produced the whole segment on uh, on Area 51. And uh, uh, so they interview Bob Lazar, they interview uh, Cooper, they interview Lear, so I put, and they interview, most of all, uh, George Knapp. Now, the story had been just a local story uh, from that time on, but when I took Shannon Sands out in 91, we made the front page of the LA Times, uh, right column about Area 51, but they made us look like idiots because even the photographer then, even though we had a ship that was dancing around, he refused to photograph it. Then when we were out there with sightings, the ship came up and started dancing all around. Those guys ref- refused to turn the cameras around and film it. And then you had Stuart Brown, who was mocking us and calling us all kinds of names with popular popular science and then popular mechanics magazine. We sent them photos, <laughs> close-up photos of the UFOs that they refused to publish. And I wrote letters to them saying, why are you making us all look like idiots? We see this stuff, but they just we had signs that said saucer viewing site. And the LA Times guy said, I- I'm only here to take pictures of people looking at UFOs, not to take pictures of UFOs. Of the UFOs. <laughs> then they moved everything. Okay, about 90, late 92, early 93, uh, they moved everything to Utah. To uh, And again, it was only interesting from 87 to that time because they had nine ships there. Uh, they built a facility into the side of the mountain uh, right by Papoose We're- Lake. Where yeah, is it? Where is everything in Utah now? We've all heard that you know Area Fifty One moved to Utah. That's been you know that's been in the lore of pop culture for many years. But uh, you know, I, I never really have found where where in Utah. It's probably somewhere in the salt salt desert. Tell you, tell you where it all is. <laughs> you got an idea? Yeah, I know exactly where. It is. <laughs> they built a they built a gigantic underground facility, like they'll say, mm-hmm. and it's under it's under Kings Peak in the Uinta National Forest. <laughs> that's where that's where everything is now. It all went underground, and the nine ships which they got from uh, Wright Patterson, they came from a bunch of different places, including uh, uh, a crash ship in the Kalahari, which is where they got. And this leads to another thing. But after we did sightings, it only ran for thirteen episodes. Now people also don't realize who Tim White, the host of sightings. Yeah, I remember Tim White, Tim White. But he was Colonel Tim White. You have no idea oh. how heavy duty this guy was. This no guy fooling. Was a major league E ring insider pentagon guy and colonel tim white i couldn't believe it when he when he popped up hosting the show and i was trying to impress on people who he was and why they were doing this so this puts the whole sightings thing into a whole different genre i guess of being a massive release of information now we ran 13 episodes yeah that was huge that was huge. that was a big influence on me sean that that show aired what what 93 90 but it was the number one show on yeah. Fox. Number one. It Absolutely was. Everything up in the ratings. The only other show they had at that time was Married with Children. And uh, <laughs> the show w- went crazy. So, But there were five different production companies involved. Uh, after 13 episodes, these production companies got together and they demanded that Fox order 24. And Fox said no. And they didn't realize that Fox couldn't order 24 because they weren't a network. Because they were owned by Rupert Murdoch. And Rupert Murdoch wasn't a U.S. citizen. And because you're not a U.S. citizen, you can't own a network. So he was getting away with it by claiming it's a news corporation. So to this day, you'll see 20th Century Fox. It says news, news corporation. corporation. It's right. So they said, we order 13 episodes at a time. Even Married with Children, our most popular show. We order 13 at a time. And these jackasses turned around and said, uh, uh, 
oh, well, if you're not going to order 24 episodes, we're going to walk and find someplace else. And Fox went, see you, bye. And they couldn't find any place else that would air the show except Fox. Now, the next day after they did that, you had a guy come walking into the Fox executives who you probably know. His name is Chris Carter. And Chris <laughs> came in and said, here's the number one show on your network with them investigating all this cool stuff. How about I pitch a show? about a couple of FBI investigators, you know, one's a believer, one's a cynic, and they investigate the same thing. And ta-da, there was the X-Files. You know, the X-Files for 10 years. And by the way, the pilot of the X-Files was about these kids that find a hilltop that look down on Area 51 and that these pilots were reappearing, but their minds have been completely wiped as to anything about an airplane or flying an airplane. Sean, let me ask you, Sean, there was a, I don't know if it was a sightings episode, and you would probably remember if it was, or you, or you probably were involved in it if it wasn't, but there was an interesting one around the time of sightings that came out that featured uh, Bob Exler doing a piece on do, uh, military technology. Maybe it was pr- pr- promoting a an off-world program that was – was supposed to take people off planet, and it maybe and it involved maybe a a, a a program called Dark Star or something. Yeah. But you remember you're that talking, you're talking about Project Serpo. Well, no, not Project Serpo, but but it was a it, it was a, it was on it aired. This was something Bob Exler was was involved in in, in in a program, and it may not have been sightings, but I thought it was because it aired around that time. But it talked we about a, a program that was you know to take people off planet. Well, sometime later, I was working for Geraldo Rivera, and we had a show called Now Can Be Told, and we had an interview with Bob, uh, which I think was his, like his last one, his retiring, but he had on tape uh, Admiral Bobby Ray Inman, who, That's was, right. who, was, who was going to be head of the National Security Agency, with Inman saying, yeah, we have anti-gravity technology, and That's right. I would say we'll never release it. You know, 10 years ago, I would have said never, and now it could be any day, and of course, that's the last you heard of that. So, um, uh, Bobby Ray Inman was was at the time, I think, in charge of Science Applications International or SAIA, I think. Well, he's out, all those guys are out in, uh, uh, they're out in Dublin, California, the the Valley of Death out there, (laughs) uh, at the Lawrence Livermore Labs. So, um, anyway, so as the progression goes, so now you've got got X Files. Uh, Chris Carter was a a rabid uh, subscriber to my newsletter. (laughs) <laughs> so I saw a bunch of stuff that I wrote in the newsletter popping up in, in the show. Yeah, which was kind of fun. And I got to have lunch with him uh, the day that he uh, he signed uh, uh, the day he signed Jillian Anderson to her four million dollar contract to do the X Files movies. <laughs> you had lunch with him that day. So yeah, I did. Yeah. So <laughs> to progress forward now, um, uh, all right. So I'm working for Geraldo. Uh, we do this whole thing with a guy named Ghost Walker, uh, Connor Hennessy, he called himself, uh, who claimed to have these this uh, a stack of files, uh, 500 pages that revealed everything. It was the Holy Grail. And he had to go get it in Las Vegas. He wanted $250,000 for it. And I teamed up with a guy named Bob Keviat. And uh, bottom line of this whole thing is that is the Ghost Walker, he basically just pulled our leg the whole time. And uh, uh, we had a security team, the whole thing, and he never he never reappeared. I did hear, however, that some months later, and this is where it gets really scary, we think that he was an agent that was released into the wild to find out what people knew about Area 51. And some months later, I was told that he was now infiltrating the Patriot Sovereign Citizen Movement and that he was trying to get people to blow something up, possibly a federal building in Oklahoma. Mm. Of course, then, uh, you know, the whole uh, 
whole thing with Timothy McVeigh and all that stuff happened. Yeah, yeah. McVeigh, by the way, was a, completely an agent, and he's not dead. Uh, they totally faked his death and, you know, gave us a plastic surgery, and he lives in Costa Rica with a bunch of money. <laughs> oh, so, uh, uh, so that's that. There's a bunch of people, by the way, who you think are dead who are really alive and people that are alive that are actually dead. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, the entire list of people. Truth uh, is stranger on, than fiction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who faked, who faked their death. So so I'm working with Bob Kevin. So then then Bob wants to do a thing on uh, uh, on Billy Meyer. Oh, yeah. Famous uh, case. Yeah, the famous case of Billy Meyer. I have a connection with Billy. Uh, I know Billy's son, Methuselah, really well. He would come stay at my house. I, I still bought him a cowboy hat at Disneyland, which he still wears to this day. And uh, we were ready to give Billy basically an hour of network time on Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, top 10 show. I think we were four in the ratings at the time. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then Billy screwed us. Uh, basically just said no. And, and it was weird because he said he didn't want to work with me. Because of Dr. Fred Bell and Uncle Fred was supposedly in contact with Sanyaze, which pissed off Billy. And <laughs> the executive producers uh, uh, said, no, if that's how he's going to be, then screw him. And Bill said and, and Bob said, I'm going to get Billy Meyer, which led to a special actually called uh, 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 UFOs, uh, World's Greatest Hoaxes. Yes. And they turned loose Cal Korf and Bill Moore again and all these other people to basically just, you know, tear Billy Meyer to shreds, uh, which is really unfair. But Billy did the same thing to Mufon, by the way. And I went to <laughs> Mufon a bunch of times, and apparently they just had an, an approved speakers list. I went to them with the Dulce stuff, saying, I can prove there's a military base in the middle of where all these cattle mutilations are. And they were like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. You know, so I, I, I now say that Mufon stands for... Morons ultimately finding out nothing because they never do. <laughs> never find out anything. So, but from this, weirdly enough, uh, I stumble across uh, a guy by the name of Ray Santilli. Yeah. And Santilli and I have a conversation where he's like, look, I have film uh, which came from a guy. And it's funny how all this stuff starts and ends with Elvis. I think this was funny. So they had a combat photographer who was a big hero in World War II. He'd been at Iwo Jima. He took all kinds of crazy footage. So he got the plum uh, assignment of filming Elvis in the Army. And, uh-huh. you know, here's Elvis getting his hair cut, and here's Elvis singing for the troops and whatever else. So uh, he was a big deal. Now, they were working on a documentary about Elvis in the Army, and they went to this guy's house in Florida, uh, you know, the, the cameraman. I never knew his name. And... They, he got paid like $200,000 for his footage. And he goes, well, you want to see something really scary? And he pulls up a bunch of floorboards and says, when the army was creating the air force, they kind of just left this stuff with me. And this is where the alien autopsy film came from. And, um, very interesting. Now they were being, now this is why they thought it was fake later on because they were working for a man named Volker Spielberg. In, in Germany. And Volker Spielberg uh, would not release the tape to anybody. Actually, interesting enough, the, the cameraman said, well, I'm not going to hand you this because it's my only copy and I'm not going to give you a copy of it unless I get paid. So they said, well, look, we need money to give the guy to, to, to get to get it. He just wants to get paid for the footage. We can tell you it's legit. And Spielberg wasn't buying it. So Santilli and his buddies literally got together in his barn or something and they did like a fake alien autopsy to come up with footage <laughs> to show Volker Spielberg what the footage looked like 
which then got upped later to being them faking the footage, which was weird. So again, that, that, that happens. Didn't that happen when Walter Stevens went out to, uh, you know, see Billy Meyer and they made the models to just to prove that they, that this wasn't uh, filmed by Billy, you know, Yes. You know, way so, out that, that hap- this happens when they do this. Is sometimes it, it ends up think- people thinking it was a fake. Well, it was Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens, and he was the one that took us to Billy's farm because Billy was friendly with Wendell. Mm-hmm. And uh, what Meyer had done is that he he pulled out the models and said, "Look, I took pictures of models to show people that I'm not taking pictures of models." <laughs> models yes, and it's a whole different thing. So, um, uh, anyway. So the alien autopsy, the problem with the alien autopsy was that I kind of backed off from it because there's just some skeevy stuff going on with it. But, you know, Bob Kevy had just completely snaked me. He just completely shoved me away, uh, totally took me out of the deal after working for Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, and, um, you know, it was just really screwy because Kevy had made money uh, selling it as legitimate to Fox, and they'd made money selling it as a fake to Fox. So he made money... <laughs> going <laughs> that's funny and, oh, God. Uh, and, but then but then this then led weirdly enough this then led to a guy named the mysterious victor not his real name uh who then has a two minute 55 second piece of footage that he smuggled out of every 51 right uh it's down in level five over at s4 of a being in an interview suite where there's a sheet of glass where they're maintaining the, uh, the atmosphere or whatever else. Uh, and there's this creature that's just kind of wobbling around, you know, at the end of a table. Uh, you have people in the foreground. You've got a commanding officer. You've got somebody that looks like an intuitive communicator, an intercom, as they call, supposedly trying to communicate with this being. So he takes it to Fox. And Fox says, thanks, but no thanks. You know, we just got burned on the alien autopsy footage, paying Bob Keviet money coming and going. <laughs> So no thanks. So he's out literally walking around Hollywood and he's on Coenga and uh, Hollywood Boulevard. And there's a ginormous um, uh, newsstand there. And he picks up a copy of Variety magazine and there's a big ad there uh, for, I don't know if you remember this, but Dorf teaches you how to play golf. Remember Dorf? Dorf was Tim Conway uh, in his oh, golf. Yeah, that's right. With his shoes <laughs> on his knees. And he had a whole comedy routine of a guy named, uh, this little midget guy named Dorf. So, and it was produced by Rocket Video. So Victor gets on the phone. He calls Rocket Video. And he talks to Tom Coleman's secretary and uh, says, I have a two minute to, uh, you know, that I've smuggled out of Area 51 of an actual alien being. Are you interested? And she goes, okay, I'll take a message. So she gives Coleman the message and Coleman's not interested. But then Coleman thinks, he, he, he says, hey, Jeff Broadstreet, who works in his office. And Jeff says, yeah. He says, didn't you go out to Area 51 to that crazy Sean Mort guy? He goes, yeah. He goes, you want to take this phone call? And he goes, sure. So he speaks to Victor, which then leads to a meeting, which then leads to Jeff bringing me in, saying, you got to see this, man. You got to see this. We think we got a real deal. You're you're like the big expert on Area 51. And um, this then led to uh, they hired uh, Mr. X, uh, Stephen Williams, I think, who was who was one of the X Files guys, uh-huh. uh, to host the show. And whereas uh, right. I think Will Riker or what's the actor's name? Uh, yeah, uh, Will Riker's the one that hosted Alien Autopsy. Yes, yeah. Come on, what am I? Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, Jonathan Frakes. And uh, um, so 
I'm there doing analysis of the video. It says Department of Naval Intelligence on it, DNI. Mm -hmm. uh, and I point out a couple of things. We took this to uh, Rick Baker. We took it to Criswell. We took it to all the special effects guys in Hollywood where I interviewed them as part of this whole documentary. And they said, well, we can do better and we have done better. Uh, but, and I said, well, how much would it cost for you to do that? He goes, ah, uh, you know, he just throws out a number of oh, two fifty, maybe three hundred fifty thousand dollars. And I was like, really? Would you spend that kind of money for something that's a fake that you're not taking, uh, you're not taking credit for? And they said, oh, if this guy came to me, I'd give him a job right away. Right. And I said, but it would cost that much to fake it. Yes. Now it's been almost twenty five years now. No one has claimed credit for this. No one. No one ever claimed credit for that at all. No one ever, never, never. Now, now. Victor died back in 2018 and uh, a guy named uh, uh, John Stewart, not the comedy show guy. Uh, he's trying to, uh, uh, he's trying to get it into a special on, uh, on travel channel. Now my wife and I've been watching travel channel and every show on travel channel is funny because it's about Bigfoot and ghosts and paranormal and haunted houses, and ghost hunting. Every show on travel channel is about how you should not go outside. Cause it's like too scary to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but this then became the, the alien autopsy footage. And again, I pointed out uh, uh, they needed to light blast the front because I saw um, indicia on a sleeve that looked to me like a four star general, uh, which now they're saying something about it being Colin Powell, possibly in the room, which I'm not sure is likely. Uh, but there was a heart monitor behind the being. Yeah. And, and I took this to like an emergency room doctor who said this can't be fake. Because you can't fake that monitor. And if you actually look at it, first off, every time, if it's a puppet, every time it breathes or gasps or whatever, uh, it reacts on that monitor. The other thing is, is that it's not a human heart monitor. You can't fake those things. And this is a different kind of heart. And we found out the uh, uh, the lungs of the creatures are are one organ. It's the lungs and the heart are kind of all together. Yeah, and didn't you didn't you comment on another show, Sean, that that, that, that heart monitor device was... Those were custom made for whoever needed them, right? I mean, for, for specifically for emergency rooms, and they couldn't be faked. And I brought doctors in and looked at them and said, "This is real. I, this is absolutely real." Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, so everything points to this being an actual alien creature. Nobody's faked it. Nobody's whatever. I was on, uh, you know, I mean, I was on Channel Five News, and they brought out an alien dummy and her dancing around with it. This is, of course, is the interview with the alien footage. If you haven't seen it, check it out on 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 your your video platforms. But it's out there, and and you know, Sean, I've always thought that that was pretty damn convincing, man. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what they look like. So, I mean, it scared the hell out of Whitley Strieber when he saw it years and years ago. It, it, Whitley found that it was disturbing. To quote him, actually, uh, just seeing okay. that. And don't get me started. He would not talk to us for the interview. No. Uh, we tried to get him on Strange University. He wouldn't talk to us. Uh, so I got a bone to pick with Whitley. <laughs> the fact is that Whitley's now made millions of dollars off his story and doesn't have an ounce of proof. Not a photograph, nothing. I mean, he doesn't have a probe. I mean, again, there were other people that moved into that same house that said nothing happened. Uh, his wife divorced him, and, and I, I don't know. I, I just don't want to get well, you know, there's. It's funny how that you know. It, it's always a uh, the boat is always rocking with ufology over the years. And and when I was doing set labs studies of extraterrestrial life and answers from beyond, and at that, around that same time, um, there was somebody gave us a, a a picture of a 
of, a, of an ET. They submitted it to our photo gallery. I kind of used it as a PR stunt, not really as a stunt, but I, 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 I knew that it was important because it looked like a real freaking picture. So I sent the facts over to Art Bell, sent it out, say, hey, can can you get the listeners? Let's post this on your 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 photo gallery to get people to comment on this. Let's find out if this is real or not. Well, Art did do that, and and this was around 2000, John, and we got a whole bunch of emails. Stuff started coming in. People were reporting that uh, uh, they thought it was a naval uh, in investigate a, a naval uh, in interrogation of this creature. This was just still images that we had, but we shared them with Ari Bell's team. But we ended up getting about. Hundreds of emails, Sean. One one of the emails comes in. You know what? It 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 showed the alien as part of a a crew called FX Masters, and they were uh, hired by one of these production companies to do a what was what was hosted by Leonard Nimoy event uh, of show, and uh, this was later would later make the the pages of UFO magazine. With uh, Bill Burns and uh, as the J Rod alien image, but oh. but I wrote an article on that in 2004 for that same issue uh, that 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 talked about this being the J Rod. That image was the image that we had in 2000, and it later came out that it was an effects. Um, it was an effect. It was totally an effects prop for a show. Yeah, well, it, it just just to, because you mentioned Art Bell there. Um, Art had a slightly right of center show that was only on KLAV Vegas or something that nobody listened to in the middle of the night. But there was a payphone out in front of a little alien. Uh-huh. And we would call him on the phone at like three o'clock in the morning and say, Hey, man. And there was a ship coming over. And I said, Look, I know you live in Pahrump. Go outside, look up. And he actually saw a ship that was actually going over his trailers out there. And um, I just gotten finished doing the, uh, the UFO documentary thing. And it changed Art's life. And Art said to me, quote, I want to know everything you know and everyone you know. And so for the first three years or so, I was producing the show by not only providing him with guests, but Art calling me saying, what about this guy? Do you like this guy? And is mm-hmm. this guy any good? Is this guy going to be real on the radio? And, and we turned that program into nothing, uh, into the number one show late night, number three overall. Number one was Dr. Lore. Number two was Rush Limbaugh. And Sean, when was that? It was, 90, it was 91, 91, 92. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That... Because we started calling him on the phone from the payphone out in front of the little alien. And he, once again, one of the things that I'm good at is getting on the next wave of what I see is going to be the next big popular thing. And um, that's what Art, you know, he listened to me and started having all these guests on his program. So I literally produced his show uh, for about the first three years or so. And then, uh, so we have a, we have a show at Sci-Fi. Uh, back when sci-fi was literally, we were out of a garage in Silmar, which is this you know crappy little place here. And uh, we were doing a show called Mysteries from Beyond the Other Dominion. And it was with Dr. <laughs> Franklin Rule, uh-huh. uh, who was literally a public TV host in Santa Monica, but he was an amazing guy. And uh, you know, we would do stories like you know, with Art Maturo and Jim Carbonetti, uh, stories like, you know, our 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 clams from Venus, you know, <laughs> was there uh was there the sarcophagus of a pharaoh? Uh, behind the captain's cabin in Titanic and why it sank and all that other stuff. So I did a pilot for uh, for it called Declassified, uh, which had two stories in it. It was the the connections between uh, uh, the John Lennon assassination and the uh, uh, the attempted assassination of President Reagan, and we did Dulce as well. 
And from this, uh, a guy sees me speak at a, a, a conference in, uh, in New York, and he hands me his card, and it's Bill Siegel from Chris Craft Industries. And I literally handed the card back at him and said, thanks, but I'm not interested in a wooden boat. And he goes, no, we just bought a, 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 a TV network, uh, and we're going to call it UPN, and I want you to come in. <laughs> so that's what, and that's how uh, myself and Margaret Roberts and Paul Barras uh, marched in to see Lucy Salhaney, who is the president of the network. And their only show at that time was, uh, was Star Trek Voyager. And they were wow. going to use it as a way to, to launch, uh, which I thought was a great show. A lot of other people didn't like it, but I thought it was great. And uh, uh, so we were, we were Strange Universe, uh, Voyager, Gemini Man, uh, I forget, so The Guardian, I think was another show, but those were the, that was the original lineup for UPN. And yeah. uh, the same thing happened to me. This was messed up because on sightings, I went into the executive producer on sightings and said, look, I want to produce for your show. Look, I've got beta tapes. I've just traveled around the world doing everything you guys want to do. Yeah. I'm not even going to use this name because it was the dumbest thing that was ever said to me in the entertainment business. And I even went to, went to Linda to complain about this, but I said, I want to produce your show. I just wrote and directed and produced this, this, this huge documentary. And the guy said, yeah, Sean. Yeah. But we want to find people that don't know anything. This is exact <laughs> word. And it's, I was like, all right. Then I got mad. And I said, well, I got a brain tumor. You know, if somebody doesn't know anything about that, they can put my head over. And yeah. it's the reason why the show kind of tanked because, again, they hired a bunch of people that don't know anything. Same thing happened with Strange Universe. I'm sitting here and they got a room full of people that don't know anything. And so they, <laughs> they used all of my stuff and I go into work on it and they, we can't pay anything. So it's. It's it's really amazing, Sean, because you uh, influenced uh, a lot of the projects that you were involved in really influenced me. I think I'm about 14, 13 years younger than you. But I mean, it's just really interesting because every everything you were involved in got me on the path to be you know interested in all of this stuff. So it's just fantastic to get you on the show. Stand by. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Grab a drink of water. We'll be right back. More Buy books. Buy my books. Buy yes, my books. we've got all these books on screen. I've got a – I can she, uh, uh, recommend you go to the Amazon page. I've got that up on here as well next. Uh, Strange Universe Radio is the website, so we don't have to pay Amazon. But Strange Universe Radio, they're all up on the website. StrangeUniverseRadio.com. Check that out. We'll be right back. Sean David – more than our guest after this. Evidently, you do not realize you are in an interstellar conveyance. You are already outside the atmosphere of your own planet. In an instant of your time, we travel from beyond your moon to the surface of your Earth. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile found sometime last week has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Demonstration. Shooter, status report. Completely operational, and all my circuits are functioning perfectly. Excellent! Engineering to Captain Kirk. Kirk, yeah, what is this, Cutting? Ready to try it when you are, sir. Inform engine room to prepare for maximum acceleration. Energize. It works. Program complete. Enter when ready. All right, welcome.
welcome back to Paranoid America. I'm Russell, former publisher there of the old Weird Magazine days. I used to publish Weird Magazine, Paranoid Magazine, even spent a little bit of time doing InfoWars Magazine uh, for, for some years there. And uh, been, I'm still a magazine publisher, publishing ma- uh, uh, kind of do a, own a sports magazine. I own a, own a cannabis magazine here in Austin. But uh, uh, these are these are some of where I first started is getting out into the radio and the media business uh, many years ago. But I have been a fan of uh, of of Sean David Morton's work for many many years. And and it seems like a lot of the things that Sean that you've done it, it just had a huge influence on me. I mean, I was you know, Art Bell, Coast to Coast. Uh, you know, it was uh, all over so- those shows like sightings. Um, those were a big part of what uh, got me, you know, on the, this uh, this path of uh, being interested in all of this stuff. It's so weird, like I'm, I'm the grand old man now. With this uh, <laughs> this whole movement. Well, well you're you're like what I, I've been. I was telling my girlfriend the other day, Sean. I thought I said, man, uh, you know, I'm probably the second generation or uh, of researchers, but maybe. You know, maybe I'm closer to third and you're second generation, you know, because if you you look at the history of all of this stuff and and wonder where we're at and where we're going with everything, um, I got to say, there's I've been motivated to do this stuff again, Sean, recently because I've seen, you know, guys that I used to interview now have their own programs like Dr. Sala, others. And then there's just a whole nother generation of 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 younger guys that are my kids age that are out there doing podcasts and you know, I'm sure they, you know, they they're interviewing a lot of you older guys and the guys that that have uh, come and gone. And um, man, it's just uh, it's an exciting thing to be a part of this and see where everything's going. But I just wanted to jump back, and dip my toes back in, and so thank you for being my first guest on this new program. Um, and uh, you, you you stopped doing your show. Uh, I know you have the throat cancer, but I didn't realize you had to stop doing the show. Yeah, I I just could. I couldn't speak anymore. I mean, I was, I was bad things happened. I mean, the, the tumors uh, ruptured an artery in my neck and I started bleeding, coughing up gouts of blood and I had to go to the emergency uh. room and they had to slit my throat to save my life. And, you know, then I had a, they did a tracheotomy on me and uh, I had a tube sticking out of my neck where I couldn't physically speak for a long period of time. And uh, I'm actually supposedly now, I went through what forty-seven radiation gamma cancer treatments. You know, turned into the Hulk, destroyed downtown Mission Viejo. Of course, nobody noticed. <laughs> and uh, um, then they gave me a. Uh, it burned third-degree burns up now my neck, inside and outside. My tongue was a giant scab. Mm. And then they were giving me uh, chemotherapy at the same time, and uh, which gave me the amazing ability to projectile vomit completely unexpectedly all the time. <laughs> Gosh. And uh, the only reason I went through it, I, I swore to never let these doctors get their hands on me. And I, I called um, Val Kilmer, who'd been a friend of mine for mm-hmm. like 30 years, and he had the same thing I had. I was like, me, Val Kilmer, Stanley Tucci, Michael Douglas, we all got the same disease kind yeah. of at the same time, uh, this squamous cell cancer. But it was January of 2020, and his doctor said, um, I, had a, I had a 16 millimeter tumor, a 16 centimeter tumor, I'm sorry. Um, hanging out of my throat. <clears throat> Literally, I looked like an, I, I was E.T. Whoa, what? <laughs> Hi, sweetie. Hey, there you go. There's your buddy. <laughs> yeah, Sophia. Wants She's my Norwegian force. <laughs> hey, Sophia. You so you've worked yeah. on the, you've worked on this new book. This is is this out now? Can we? we is this yeah. on on oh, your yeah. your website and everything? And we can get all of these. I I've 
I just ordered actually some, and I think you're going to send me a couple of the uh, Sands of Time. And I, I just here's the thing. This is this is book one. This is where you start. That's right. Way, like twenty five bucks. And then book two is the sorry is the completion of that adventure. And one of the things I want to mention is that right here on the cover, that's the unified field theory. This is the last thing that that Einstein did before he fell over dead in his office at uh, Princeton University in New Jersey. And I took out a copyright on it. I have a patent on it uh, to be used as a as a, uh, an interdimensional communication device. And I was trying to get a hold of somebody like Elon Musk. I've tried to put this in front of scientists to say, you know, you need to analyze this equation because it's the secret to breaking all time and all space. <laughs> then, the, then the last book here, or the third book, <laughs> Giant Beast, okay, there you go, uh, is, uh, is the Isomer Protocol. And that's an actual photo of a viper that they call Hazel. It was named after Guy's ex-wife. And uh, that's from S4, taken from the ceiling. I don't know how anybody got it, but uh, taken from the ceiling in S4. And this is really how uh, we use devices called time runners, which allow us to instantaneously teleport anywhere in the galaxy or in the universe, actually, which is one of the most powerful weapons on Earth or most powerful weapons in the solar system. And this is where we really punched the aliens in the face and said, we're not going to be quarantined. And Isomer Protocol is the, the treaty that they entered into with Eisenhower because uh-huh. uh, it stands for Isolation Protocol or the Isolation Memorandum uh, to basically keep us, on, keep us on this planet. And then we signed uh, a treaty with the actual gray aliens, the bad guys. And we're going to talk about lizards in a second. Yeah. Uh, then in 1964, we signed what was called the, uh, uh, the Sigma Treaty, which you probably have heard about. And then... Uh, this book here, which is which is uh, antebellum, antebellum, you can see on, see on the cover. You've got uh, you've got sort of invading Sumerian spaceships, and we're right back at it with the Sumerians or the Isogen, who are the same guys that that wanted to create the whole Nazi Third Reich and all that. So, um, but all these books, matter of fact, I've just finished uh, the cover uh, and the uh, and the guts of uh, of uh, the, uh, the 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 next book, which is called the Draco War. Yeah. Of the, us going at it with the uh, with the after so yeah, I, I had I had uh, I had the, that contact that I had that worked in TRW. He would tell me about this draconian war with the Pleiadians. You know, I mean, yeah. thirty years ago he was telling me. But I used to record these conversations. I sadly none of these conversations have survived my my moves over the years. But I remember hearing about these and thinking, man, that's that's can't be real. But I mean, he. You want to talk about the reptilians? Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, you know, that's uh, that's one of the guys I want to get on. Is uh, I, I just I was just reading uh, Dark Fleet by uh, uh, Lynn Caston is one that I was reading. Uh, so I'm I'm always interested in in the reptilians, of course. All right, so the big war happened 65 million years ago, and uh, <clears throat> it was a war between there was three factors factions involved. And the first faction was the Isogen, who were the Sumerians, basically. And uh, the second faction was the Saurians, or the Reptilians, who were... Because this is their planet, actually. They've been here longer than anybody. Sorry. And um, um, an interdimensional race, which is called the uh, the, the Andorus Bantheans, actually. And it's just it was all kind of crazy. So what they did at that time, there was a planet... <clears throat> and this is all in the books coming up. Uh, there was a planet called Astra that they destroyed uh, that became the asteroid belt. 
and they literally destroyed it to start using it as a weapon so they can basically start hurling asteroids, meteors, uh, at two places, at Mars and at Earth. Now, all 12 of them hit Mars, and the weird thing about Mars was is that we had races of giants here as well, and they bugged out and actually went to Mars, and uh, they hit Earth with, uh, with one big asteroid, which hit in the Gulf of Mexico, which is what many people think was responsible for the... Um, the dinosaurs, dinosaurs at that time, but really, what it was is that they used a ginormous, gigantic planet-killing Death Star-type uh, plasma weapon. And this is the weird thing. I don't know. I don't know if anybody notices, but um, there is a feature on Mars uh, which is called uh, uh, Vilius Marinus or Marinus Vilius. I'm not the sure gigantic gash in the side of the planet. Yeah, well, that was created by a yeah. gigantic plasma weapon, and it's over 3,000 miles across and seven miles deep. Well, it looks exactly like the Grand Canyon on Earth, mm. and the same weapon actually formed the Grand Canyon on Earth, uh, except because the weapon was further away, it didn't leave as large uh, a, a gash mm. in the surface. But what it did lead to was a nuclear winter that lasted approximately uh, 200 years. So the Saurians went underground and leaving on the surface the mammals, mostly uh, the apes and gorillas and, and higher, the, the, the higher monkeys, if you will, uh, that had been genetically engineered as a slave race uh, by the Sumerians or by the, the, by the Ilgen. And um, underground, the reptilians divided into two I don't know, not species, but like just two different civilizations. One civilization it became vegetarian and is very wise and very gentle, mostly, and they have good relations with the Tibetans, many Chinese, what have you. Uh, and the other gang are not so nice. They still see us as being basically just uh, grazers and feeders and cattle on the surface. Uh, they eat human flesh. Uh, they're pretty nasty. Mm. And um, it's weird because in the Great Pyramid of Giza, if you look at the downward path of the pyramid, uh, when the North Star at that time, in 26, 2600 BC approximately, mm -hmm. is Draco. Oh, and yes. This is before you, you, have, you have Draco, and then it turns to Vega. And then, of course, the, the North Star now is uh, Polaris. It says in the pyramid mythology or prophecy or whatever that the, the, the Alphaconians are responsible for the, the fall or the descent of mankind. So this is where it gets freaky, and I know I don't have too much time for this. So let's just call that these dark um, Alphaconians, that they, they, call, they call themselves the dark Vril. So okay. they know how to use the Vril force, that the, the positive aspect is that the, the Vril Dhamman women could use the, uh, the void. Matter of fact, when I lived in the monastery in Nepal, uh, we had a group of nuns, and uh, I was in a Karma Kagyu set, sect which is which are called the black hats and we studied the light we studied the vajra we studied the, the thunderbolts and how to create you know masses of energy and what have you they studied the void where they were studying the feminine and the feminine and the female and the mother force or energy which was magnetic as opposed to what we studied which was electric so when you bring these two together it's it's a i mean these women could literally just look at you and you know give you a massive erection just because they can magnetize <laughs> themselves and you naturally be drawn towards them so we started building underground bases for what we thought was the Greys. 
And the Grays wanted things here. Remember, they just like, oh, we just want to observe. We just want to take people and take uh, uh, we just we just want a few resources, some copper and some mercury. And, you know, that was not the case because they were they were now kidnapping people and basically feeding them to the reptilians. So underneath a lot of these deep military bases like Dulce, mm -hmm. when we went into Dulce and blew it up and had the big Dulce war in 77, we had no idea that we were going to run into um, what they call the Nagas Hirachi or the Serpent Man. We just thought we were fighting these greys with their little green pen lights. You know, they're deadly enough. But then suddenly you had these guys, these giant guys with tails and wings and all kinds of weird stuff, mm. um, you know, showing up that we had to fight. And eventually we still don't know how that battle ended. There was some kind of implosion bomb um, that wiped the place out. When we went there in 89, uh, we blasted the mountain with the sound of a Pleiadian beam ship from the Billy Meyer case, which gives them all a big headache. And uh, we were told the base was evacuated uh, in January of 90. And uh, two big, grind, big green fireballs were seen coming out of the base. Okay, so here's the Vril Lizards. The Vril Lizards have, for lack of a better term, they're, they're called the Council. They're called the Bloodlines. They're called uh, the Illuminati. We'll just call them the Illuminati. Probably not accurate because they have all kinds of names for themselves. Yeah, there's nuts but, and names. Yeah, but the Illuminati have deals with the with the real lizards let's call them i just got to finish writing an entire chapter of this and it just creeped me out because I, I had lizards in my head for weeks when i was putting this together and this is in the new book you're working on yeah this is in uh yeah this is in the sumerian war so um it's a whole interview because uh, ted humphrey who's the guy who gave me all this this download i mean in 2009 uh, i was called into some very scary lawyers offices in century city and they said this is a probate matter you're going to sign all these NDAs that if you break them, I mean, they basically said, we're going to have you killed if you break these. And I couldn't tell anybody who Ted Humphrey's real name was. He had living relatives. There were certain people that I could not reveal within the, uh, uh, within the whole case. And the only reason they gave me these things is because, you know, I had worked with the ghost Walker guy and he was going to give me all these documents when I was working for Geraldo. And even though he disappeared, I mean, I was willing to risk my life to get this stuff out there. And so they said, okay, here you go. And I got stacks and stacks of these diaries, uh, which was the biggest download of information from a guy that was head of the group, that was head of the black operations. And I've I've novelized them. So if you just want to think it's just a you know cute little sci-fi story, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But it's true, and it's the biggest. It's they've been called the masterpiece. They're five stars on Amazon. Uh, every rating is like you know ninety eight percent. People can't put them down once they get them. And uh, and they've really been a, a, a revelation to the world. So um, the Vril, now this is where it gets creepy. Um, the reptilians have a, have a they're all venomous. You know, the good ones and the bad ones, you know, they, they bite you once, uh, you're done. Usually it's, it's used for bringing down like elephants and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. with a couple of bites or when they would gang up on them. So they would get their victims. Now they, they sometimes take, uh, they, they take uh, mental patients. They take people from prisons. Uh, they take whatever else. Uh, but here's the crazy part. Okay, now remember, the, the very wealthiest families on Earth, their wealth comes from things from underground, which are given to them by the reptilians, like gold and diamonds and rubies and jewels and oil. <laughs> and they make a deal with the reptilians. And the reptilians have these amazing claws, and they're diggers. So they've dug tunnels uh, you know, all across the Earth, and then it was only recently that they built these machines to be able to dig the tunnels. And they live in pockets or nests of about 900 or so. 
And the two biggest underground areas on Earth are um, Eggharta Major, which is underneath the Himalayas, and Eggharta Minor, which is under Gobi Desert. Now, the Chinese proved this, by the way, because they were testing atomic weapons in the late 80s and proved that these belts in space in the uh, the crust existed. So the Illuminati, as an honor to them, would give over their children to the Dark Vril Lizards, and they would have a ceremony where there's like a proboscis in the center of their, their forehead where they could squirt this, this juice that then gets in your eyes and gets in your nose and gets in your mouth. And what it does is it goes in and it hollows out the brain. It hollows out the personality, which allows them. Now, remember, these, these, these reptiles have brains that are just as developed as ours. And, but they've been using them for about 65 million years more than we have, sort of like dolphins or whales, as an example. And they can then hollow out these people and use them like puppets, if you will. And they lose all emotion. And it's interesting because one of the side effects, this is really creeping me out. (laughs) uh, One of the side effects is is that you lose your grip on sexuality. So you don't know if you're male or female, you become transgender. And I always think it's interesting because in the Bible, uh, let me point out a couple of things. Well, they're pretty busy these days in America. Yeah, because in in the Bible... Demons refer to themselves as we, us, they, them. Who are you? We are legion. And at the same time, they have confused sexuality. And not only is homosexuality considered a sin and abomination, but so is pride as one of the seven deadly sins. So it's weird to me that they have pride parades, which is like, I'll just put all the sin on display. So they've controlled uh, many people in the government, taking control of people in the government, and, and they and as well, if they can't control themselves, they they go and they kill little kids. And uh, they give them sacrifices of human beings whom they terrify because they like human flesh d- dipped in a lot of fear and adrenochrome. Yeah. So that's what's going on yeah. underneath the deep underground bases, which, by the way, there's a war going on underground because I've pointed out to people that the, that the dumbs of the deep underground military bases, they're being blown up. And not only being blown up, but you see these earthquakes 10.6 miles down. And one will happen here, and then another will happen in a straight line, another will happen in a straight line, because we're fighting some kind of battle underground. Yeah. So if they take over a base, we blow up the base to make sure that they can infect the entire system, which is connection, which is connected by uh, Hyperloop uh, jet cars that well, travel. Uh, well, know, there's, they, there's also those strange noises you keep hearing underground too, that, uh, that, that this is something that's been a phenomenon in the last 10, 11 those, years. Those, those are sonic drillers. Actually, what mm-hmm. happened was is that the Rand Corporation was making uh, atomic drillers in the 50s. Drilling. Uh, all these gigantic holes. Uh, at the same time, Eisenhower was, was building the mother road of Route 66. And he was claiming we needed this underground network to protect us from the Chinese and the Russians. It's not as protect us from the ETs. And he was connecting... Uh, Massive underground caverns like Dulce, which was actually built as a nuclear waste facility back in 55. And then uh, uh, because Wendell Stevens actually interviewed the two uh, scientists, engineers uh, that did it. It's interesting how a lot of this stuff then connects with uh, Philip Schumann, Mm -hmm. uh, who was kind of crazy. I mean, I I met him a bunch of times and he was kind of unhinged, but they did murder him for whatever he was saying. So something he said had to be correct. Well, he claims he started the Dulce War because they were building. Phil Schneider? Underneath, underneath Dulce, when they found an abattoir. Of, Phil, uh, Phil Schneider, right? Phil Schneider. Did yeah. I say his name? Yeah, yeah. Did I say something else? Uh, Sh- yep. Schumer or something, I think. But that's fine. I knew you meant Schneider. 
Yeah, and uh, uh, he found this abattoir. It's described in the books, actually, how it really happened, of hundreds of thousands of human bones underneath uh, mm. underneath Dulce. And that's why so many key things actually trigger around Dulce. Let me tell you one other interesting thing about this is that these grays that we were dealing with, um, I wasn't so sure they were grays because some of the video that we had that came out of Dulce, which you may, which you probably seen, uh, is us growing these creatures yeah. in tanks and in, in vats, if you will. Yeah, that's right. So um, the beings have no reproductive systems uh, and they have no digestive system. So the reason they needed cattle blood in these big tanks was they would strip them naked and they would toss them in the tanks, which was cattle blood. And they would mix the cattle blood with hydrogen peroxide, which increased the oxygen content. <laughs> and they absorbed and, and they absorbed and excreted uh, food through their skin, which is why they all smelled like sulfur, which is why their skin was always. I've heard that. And uh, because that's the only way they can they can eat really or eliminate that waste. That's so how I heard that. I've heard that. That's how they eat is kind of through the, the, the skin. But if that's the case, they're not aliens at all. They're they're <laughs> stuff we make. And what most people don't realize, this is all traces back to Dulce, by the way, is that on that tape, and I've seen the whole thing. Unfortunately, it was in Jim Delatoso's house, and he lost most of the tape to a flood or something, which is weird because he lives in Phoenix. Uh, and just real briefly, on the rest of the tape, a scientist actually uh, cannibalizes one of these cameras off the wall at Dulce. And his name was... Uh, uh, God. I'll, I'll come up with it, but uh, he comes on and uh, he talks about how he's invented a laser tweezer process and that he can put blank mules in between the RNA and DNA of a plant and an animal. In this case, I think it was a laboratory hamster that he had and, uh, uh, and an aloe vera plant. And then you see a time-lapse piece of photography where uh, he grows a plant that has these little feet on it. It has these little buds on it that literally have little hamster heads coming off it, and it has this gold fur. And he says, "Now that I've now that I've perfected this this process, um, uh, I'm looking for fifty five thousand dollars in the private sector, which is nothing, even in 1976, 77, uh, to perfect this process." Well, you would laugh that off if you didn't see an article in Omni magazine, which, strangely enough, I think at that time was written by Bob Kevitt. <laughs> where they talk about how Monsanto, who's even changed his name because there were so many lawsuits against Monsanto, but how Monsanto had actually developed a process to mix um, animal and plant DNA. And I remember it had a funny cartoon because it had it, the actual headline of the article was Attack of the Killer Trees. And they had trees with apples. You know, they were throwing the apples like out of Wizard of Oz. And... Um, you know, they say an apple a day keeps the doctor away, but only if you throw it really hard. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so this was patented by Monsanto. This is the beginning of genetic engineering and genetically modified organisms and food starting once again at Dulce with this scientist who was looking for money to do this, who came up with the process. And now they're crossing uh, rat DNA with, uh, with tomatoes. So the tomatoes are big. Uh, they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't ripen really soon. You can transport them. They, I mean, it's uh, all kinds of stuff. And the biggest thing they're doing is is uh, <clears throat> crossbreeding it with tobacco, so that they they don't have. Uh, they're not attacked by weevils. Uh, the tobacco doesn't freeze. Mm -hmm. And in California, you would think we'd be aware of this, but 
there was a huge ballot initiative here uh, to force them from putting just a tag on GMO food. And Monsanto and these companies spent so much money that they voted it down. So it only got 46% of the vote, but now they don't even have to put a label on a genetically modified apple or a, you know, a, an artichoke or something like that. So, but all this traces back to Dulce and the original cores and conflicts and uh, the, the grays that we made the deal with. And then of course the grays made a deal with the reptilians mm-hmm. uh, who are the dark real guys who, who have the bases under the bases way, way deep underground. And then of course they, uh, you know, they traverse the planet back and forth because again, they're diggers. Whereas, uh, and let me tell you one other thing. We have diplomatic relations with these, with the positive reptilians, with the Saurians. And uh, their main embassy uh, is underneath the gazebo at the center of the Pentagon. And it's weird because there's a bird on top of that gazebo. I've always thought this was strange. That's not an eagle. That's not something American, but it's an owl showing that, you know, which is the symbol of the Illuminati. And you actually take like an elevator that goes down deep, deep, deep into the earth. And, uh, you know, there's a nest there. Uh, with an ambassadrix because they're a matriarchal society named, I think she's called Lycanthra. And um, Ted Humphrey has a whole conversation with her, which I, I just put in the latest book. So, And Sumerian Wars will be out. It, it's heading to the printers in uh, this week, actually. Well, listen, so, the, book's out right la- this is the last commercial break. we got about 15 minutes. We're going we're gonna to wrap. I want to talk to you on this last segment just about you know playing the UFO card. Will we ever get disclosure, Sean? I kind of wanted to get go into Project Bluebeam with you a little too, if we if we had time for that. But last segment about Phoenix Lights and how Phoenix Lights was connected with Bluebeam. This will be our last break, and then we'll finish up our guest uh, Sean David Morton. Great show as we kick off Paranoid America with our first episode. We'll be right back on the other side. This is Paranoid America. If you aren't paranoid, you aren't listening. realize you are in an interstellar conveyance. You are already outside the atmosphere of your own planet. In an instant of your time, we travel from beyond your moon to the surface of your Earth. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile found sometime last week has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Demonstration. Shoot a status report. Be operational, and all my circuits are functioning perfectly. Excellent! Engineering to Captain Kirk. Kirk, yeah, what is this guy? Ready to try it when you are, sir. Inform engine room to prepare for maximum acceleration. Energize. It works! Program complete. Enter when ready.
Welcome back to the Paranoid America podcast. This is our premier show here of our guests this week. Strange Universe own Sean David Morton giving us a history of ufology and then uh, even a little bit of history underground, uh, as uh, that last segment proved. But we've covered everything from uh, Nazi reptilians to Battle of Los Angeles, Roswell. We've traveled through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 90s, right up to where we are today. And I think one of the things I'd like to talk to him about next here is just with everything been going on in the media and, the, and the, you know what inspired me to jump back in this hot seat of doing these shows is just... You know, everything that's been going on with UFO sightings, there's been, you know, talk of, you know, is there any going to be any government disclosure? You've got characters like this Elizondo guy promoting the UAP phenomena. So are we calling them UFOs now, uh, Sean? Are we calling them UAPs? We've seen these balloons in the skies. Things are being shot down. Or um, it's, it's just been a lot of a lot of wackiness back and forth with this lately so i just thought i'd i'd get back in the hot seat here and 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 take a stab at doing some old paranormal radio which i've done for many years and um what is there any truth to play in the ufo card or you we talked about project blue beam we've got about i don't know 13 minutes left here with you sean so i thought i'd get you get your take on what's going on presently you know as we talk ufo all right, I'll try to talk fast. Uh, first off, over the course of 70 years, you've had the military with a big red brush and a can of paint paint themselves into a corner. They're in the corner with the paintbrush going, oh, oh, oh what do we do now? And, uh, <laughs> uh, and again, I'm, I'm looking at their tic-tac videos and their gun videos and all that other stuff. And now, and the fact that Alessandro wants to call them UAPs now instead of UFOs is just a way for them to break through the laughter curtain, which they've created, by the way, created it. So um, let me give you a, a key insight to this that I figured out early on. There's two branches of evolution. And again, I, I knew this with the astronauts, with Gus Grissom. We were like, you know, there's, there's us with the rockets and the spam in the can and all that nonsense. And there's the real stuff that was going on at Docktown, is going on at 5.1, it goes on at S4 and S2 and, and all these places, which is basically field propulsion technology. If you see anything that looks like a triangle, it's ours. Uh, you have a lot of disclosure information on what we call the, the TR3B. Yeah. And we're so far beyond that now. It's it's up to like the the, the, the photo that I showed you from the cover of my book, uh, which is a Viper. It's also called a Reaper. Uh, are probably, uh, by the way, TR stands for uh, terrestrial reconnaissance, whereas SR, like the SR-71 Blackbird, stood for uh, uh, surveillance and reconnaissance. Well, the terrestrial reconnaissance are because the big triangular ships basically just sit way, way high up in space and look down on us. I mean, from uh, from a um, from a perihelion point or from a Lagrange point between here and the moon. I mean, they can they can read the print on a newspaper sitting on your porch. Mm. So um, one of the interesting things was that and one of the big questions that I had was when we got swooped by the UFO. And all of us were standing out there by Steve Menlin's mailbox or when we had when I found Campfire Hill or I had a chance to climb up the top of White Peak, uh, uh, Whitesides Mountain and videotape the base for the first time. And every single one of you here have seen the have seen the tape, which is nothing more than a plane, but it looks like a really scary thing because it comes in, it lands and then uh, Hangar 18, which they do call it, uh, lights up. It's the largest uh, aircraft hangar on Earth. It's like twice the size of Moffett Field, which is like a Zeppelin hangar or something. But um, 
why the hell are they testing this stuff on the public side of the road in Tickaboo Valley off Highway 375? They have a military reservation <laughs> that is three times the size of Switzerland where the military owns 89% of the state of Nevada. They own 90% of the state of Utah. They own, I mean, most of these states, you, you don't realize the largest landholder west of the Mississippi is the federal government. True. And, um, uh, you know, and BLM and, you know, the Bureau of Land Management and all these guys, you know, managing this. Why fly it over our heads? We're a bunch of stupid civilians taking pictures of all this stuff. Now, either it was a design psyop where they wanted to release it to the public for some reason, or there was something else. And I think that something else was, is that whenever they flew a ship, because you had Bald Mountain here, and then you had a observation tower there and whenever they flew a ship up uh and it would come over our side of the mountain i think if they flew anything any higher uh they would then have to explain <laughs> what was flying over the place to the guys at at nellis uh way down the road now this all goes back to when the military stole eighty nine thousand acres of of sovereign nevada land after making requests for it where the state said no and then they just took it and this was Harry Reid actually conducting the investigation, the head of Nellis, who said, uh, uh, well, what goes on there that you need this 89,000 acres? And the, and the commandant of Nellis said, I don't know. I can't get up there. You need to have a Q-16 clearance just to set foot on the base. I have no idea what's going on there. It's the dark side of the moon is what he said. And with that being said, this is everybody that was there. By the way, you had TRW, you had Northrop Grumman, you had, as a matter of fact, when we found out that Northrop Grumman uh, had actually gotten the contracts to build all kinds of stuff at 5.1. We knew TRW was doomed, and they then bought TRW, which my dad worked for. They used to call it TR Wonderful because it was such a great company to work for. And I was raised <laughs> on the, uh, uh, I guess you could call it military middle-class welfare. But this is the branch of the government. So what Alessandro is, is squawking about is that the, the Pentagon spent $22 million, which is nothing to them because their budget is 700, almost $780 billion, uh, which is more than the budgets of all 50 states combined, I might add, mm -hmm. for the military for one year. Yeah. Uh, which if I think if it came out and you froze military spending for a year, uh, you could turn this country into a paradise with the streets paved with gold and you know build everything and fix everything. So there's one whole branch of the military in the black world, black ops, run by the group, run by Ted Humphrey, the guy that gave me all the material to write these books, that is completely separate from the other side of the military. And they're spending this, this picky amount of money to find out what the guys over there are doing. So every single time you see something that's a triangle, it's ours. Yeah. Uh, as far as the disc stuff goes, and as far as the big cigar craft goes, uh, those are probably, the cigar craft are probably the, the positive Reptilians, you know, you can't tell the difference between the real dominant and the, you know the, the the dark real lizards and the the good ones. So, do you uh, ever think we'll get any kind of disclosure? I mean, it seems to me that the with with this disclosure narrative, it, it seems like the government has their own agenda. It's, it's like whoever makes disclosure first, whether it be some ET race or it's the government, at least whoever exposes that controls the narrative. You know what I mean? Okay, so I'm working for hard copy, mm -hmm. and I do all kinds of crazy stories. I do a story on TWA Flight 800 proving that it was a military submarine that took out TWA Flight 800 with a missile, and I proved it. Uh, uh, JFK Jr. was, in my opinion, assassinated by Hillary Clinton. Bottom line, easy peasy. Uh, you never saw a body. 
Uh, he was cremated, even though he's a Roman Catholic. He was never buried next to his father. Uh, and I'm the one that actually started the rumor about JFK Jr. possibly still being alive because now my six agent told me that Princess Diana and JFK Jr. could possibly be in witness protection programs somehow. So um, I did the first stories on the Phoenix Lights. Now, the Phoenix Lights happened in March of 77. Let me tell you one other interesting thing. Nin- 97. Not, oh, I'm sorry, 97. Yeah. yeah. 97. Two months before that, I was at the World UFO Congress in Laughlin, Nevada, you know, the pitch by the ditch. And I got approached by a bunch of the Heaven's Gate people. And, you know, they were dressed in white and they, you know, cut off their balls and, you know, they were really freaky. But they wanted me to take them all out to Area 51. And I said, no, there's nothing going on out there now. You wouldn't see anything anyway. And I said, didn't you live in Dennis Weaver's house made out of tires in New Mexico? And they said, oh, we've come up in the world. And this is important because they were the big UFO people. Now they were living in a multi-million dollar estate in La Jolla which is a very, very bougie kind of northern suburb of San Diego. And I said, how are you making that kind of money to live in La Jolla with your little cult? And they said, oh, we're making the big bucks now. And I said, doing what? And if you're ready for this, they said, oh, we do. We work with computers, which means we got a, we got a contract doing code cracking for the National Security Agency. And two months later, they were dead. All of them were dead. <laughs> And they did not commit suicide. They took sedatives. They took something to knock them out. Somebody else came in, put bags over their heads, strangled all of them. But, uh, you know, Marshall Applewhite was directly connected with CIA. And, uh, you know, so there. So now I convinced my producers at Hard Copy to do a Phoenix Light story. Now, it, it didn't go anywhere in the national media when it first happened in that in March of, of uh, 97. But they came back in January of 98. And we had, a, because now people were ready. So there's all kinds of footage. And I pitched it to my producer saying, if I go, uh, I could do a weird thing on Sedona about the crazy people in Sedona. And coming back, we can uh, we can interview the Hawaiian Tropic suntan girls. And they were like, okay, you can go do your story. <laughs> so, um, so we do that. Now, we had so much stuff. I mean, oh, my God. With the Phoenix Life investigation, there was a really good Men in Black story about two men in black that show up at Captain Richard Curtis's house and take his videotape where he had close-up stuff from his roof. Um, we had a, uh, uh, we had, we had all kinds of stuff. So Burt Kearns had taken over at Unsolved and we all got invited to a party at his house. And there's a beautiful English wife, Allison Holloway. And uh, we're telling Allison about this. And she's just sitting there with her mouth open, just, ah. and we said, look, we got so much stuff on this. And they only let us do a six minute story. And after that, actually, the president of the network, a guy named Frank Gifford, president of TV division, uh, came down and said to uh, uh, to our producer, said, what are you doing? She goes, well, we're doing stories. And he goes, I don't want these kind of stories. You can't let Sean Morton and Wayne Darwin just go running around doing these stories. I want stories about nothing. You're the number two biggest show in syndication behind Entertainment Tonight. I want a nothing show. And number two biggest show in syndication. And I got us kicked off the air because of the stuff that I was doing. And uh, and they replaced us with Inside Edition, which was Jennifer Aniston's hair and, you know, a nothing show. So um, so part of this was we interviewed two airline pilots who were camping with their wives. And they and I thought this was significant. And they were driving into Phoenix the night of the Phoenix lights. And they saw two. Okay, there were three types of craft. There was the main craft that you saw over Thunderbird Ranch. That was that was a giant Omega. As a matter of fact, if you watch the movie Independence Day. It looked exactly like the Independence Day ship. It was rounded at the nose. It had two big fins off the back. It looked like a giant Omega. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the other ships were, were big triangles, but at the same time, they were boomerangs. So it's interesting. What are they, what's the abbreviation for Arizona, the, the postal abbreviation? Uh, AZ? Yeah. So you've got a bunch of ships that look like AZs, <laughs> that literally look like you know Arizona. So Alpha and Omega. So two of these ships that were the boomerangs, the, 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 the tail of the boomerang was, they said, about 300 feet across. They were floating over a mesa. And these guys stopped and pulled over, and there was a, a red laser and a, a blue laser that was actually coming out of the nose of both these ships, and they're floating over a mesa, and they're creating huge, real as day, holographic images. But they're of Jesus and the Virgin Mary, and there's an angel with a flaming sword during the Phoenix like, lights. During the Phoenix yes. lights. Yes, and this is outside of Phoenix, and this is pure and simple Project Bluebeam stuff. Now, there's other people that take this another step and say that they're going to use these to stage an extraterrestrial invasion, which I, I, I disagree with. What it's used for is used to scare the shit out of people in battle <laughs> where, yeah. you know, you show a big thing of Muhammad coming out saying, you know, the Americans are right or something. And it's another reason why you have these battle hardened Iraqi troops during Desert Storm. That's right. Who are throwing their guns down and running the other way. They just fought an eight year war. With the with the Iranians, so it wasn't like they were afraid, but something was going on. Yeah, and so they watched this happen for forty minutes, where they saw Jesus, they saw Moses, they saw Michael, they saw the Virgin Mary, all religious icons, sixty feet high on top of this mesa, and then it just went zoop, and then the boat, and then the the the, uh, the boomerangs just went and flew away. Now we would watch the boomerangs fly at the end of one ninetieth out in the Antelope Valley, right next to Nellis. People don't realize that on the north side of Nellis in the Antelope Valley, there's a gigantic underground um, uh, nor- uh, Northrop facility. And is that the music? Okay. Yeah, 90 seconds. We got 90 seconds. Tell tell folks how to fi- fire off your website. Okay. How can people get in touch with you and buy those books? Strange Universe Radio, Strange Universe Radio, Strange Universe Radio. You can go on <laughs> Amazon.com. Uh, we have a special for 25 bucks on the first book to get you into the adventure. Uh, all the books are available now. Real Diamond Diaries is out. And the next book, The Sumerian War, is going to be out in about two weeks. So. Sumerian War. Please, wow. please, please buy the books. I, I need the money. I can't work. Because of my yeah, own. support Sean David Morton's work. He's been uh, a staple. Uh, you know, I'm a Generation X guy. And uh, growing up in the 90s, watching all of these things, uh, these were projects that Sean was doing that influenced the generation of folks in this space and uh, certainly had a big influence on uh, everything I'm doing. Uh, look into oh, the light, everyone. Made its greatest books you will ever read. By the, and listen to Russell's show every time he's on. Hey, Sean, if we would, li- if you wouldn't uh, mind, man, every once in a while, it'd be great to turn to you. If you know, if you want to come on or tell us something, you got some news cooking. Uh, send me an email. Shoot, uh, shout out to me, man, and, and I'd love to have you back on the show again. Any place, Russell, you're a true believer, and it's a joy to speak to somebody that knows as much about this as you do. And you know, God bless God bless you. God bless your show. God bless America. God bless America. God bless us all. Stay tuned, guys. We'll do this again. Sean David Morton. Check him out. Strange Universe Radio, guys. It's the Paranoid America Show. We'll see you next time, guys.